Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys inside. Uh, let's go ahead and get your Bibles out. Go ahead and get your notes out. Those will be in your program there. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover uh, on this. But I, I want to tell you, you know, last week I'd said there's some weeks that feel different than others. Obviously, this one feels a little different. But even though I, I, I woke up early this morning, uh, where this week doesn't feel heavy, it feels... Uh, the lack of a better term, it feels holy. I felt the Lord's presence the whole day. I'm sure you have too as we've gone in and worshiped and had this time and uh, uh, with the firemen and all that stuff here, we're glad they took care of us uh, with it. Turns out they were here for the donuts only uh, and, uh, and some coffee, but no, seriously, thank you guys for taking care of us. Uh, let's turn to Revelation 6 and 7. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, and let me just give a shout out to our uh, church that is starting in Greeley. It's on campus. They're, they're not doing public services yet, but there's a team there watching. Uh, and they're uh, in the Revelation series as well. So we call that tr thing uh, Bent Tree Church on Campus. It's on campus. And uh, so we're uh, glad you guys are watching uh, so get your Bibles out, open that stuff up. So if you're just joining us, we're in this series called Revelation. And yes, it's that book, the one that not many people open up. You know, it's kind of scary. It's kind of confusing. Uh, so we're kind of dispelling those fears and jumping in this thing. We did this series a year ago, Revelation Part 1. Uh, and so if you've not seen that or if you've missed any weeks, go ahead and download the Bent Tree app. And you can watch those, catch up, you can watch all of last year's. This is Bent Tree's uh, second time at it. Uh, so it's Revelation Part 2, the throne room of God. Let's do some welding. You know what I mean by welding? Taking two things, heating up the ends of them, putting it together and uh, sticking them together so they never come apart. I want to take the last two weeks weld those things together in our minds just to set up this week last week we uh we dove headlong into the idea of what the theologians call the rapture or the rapeo that is found in thessalonians uh there god's taking the church out of the world instantaneously the bible describes it as a thief in the night quickly uh, all the believers uh, are gone uh, you know, not all theologians agree on the timing of that, uh, and, but they do all agree that it happens. It's just when it happens and what we call it. Uh, you know, there are open and closed-handed issues. Closed-handed issues are things that were, are not open to negotiation. It's just how they are. Christians believe it this way. Then there are open-handed things uh, or non-essentials that Christians uh, don't necessarily all agree on. In fact, good Christians can disagree on these open-handed issues, still do life together, still be in the same small group, in the same church. Uh, it's those closed-handed issues, though, that Jesus said he's going to come and take his people home uh it's when uh, listen open-ended issues of when the tribulation is i'm pretty firm in that i believe uh that the rapture happens at the first of a seven-year period called the tribulation 
in there. But there are some good Christians that say they come in the, it may come in the middle or even at the end. Uh, what I'm saying is that uh, it's okay to disagree on that, but let me be clear, based on my study, and I've been studying this for years, uh, not only does the rapture happen at the beginning of that Well, uh, that seven year period of tribulation, hear me, I think it's the event that kicks it off. It is the trigger that God pulls that starts the whole thing going. Uh, And out of all the reasons I gave you last week, the, the scripture to back that up, the biggest one in my mind is the evil that will be unleashed in that seven year time. You remember that? And it, do you remember my analogy of having like a freezer full of meat? Do you remember I had that and the, the power went off and it was gone out for like a week before I noticed I opened it up and it had gone bad. It's like, man, all the Christians, boom, out of the earth instantaneously. I'm telling you, it would go bad quickly uh, on earth. That was last week that rapture, uh, the rapture kicks it off. And we, we can't know when it will be. But we know this, it will come like a thief in the night. Uh, Now, let me weld that piece within two weeks before when we talked about something that was very uh, interesting, standing before the throne of God in heaven. You remember this? Surrounded by 24 elders, those were human, and four living creatures that we found were angels, but very specialized kind, with millions, possibly hundreds of millions of angels then standing there as well, worshiping God on the throne. Uh, Jesus was pictured as a lamb standing before the throne of God, but a lamb that had been slain but was standing, and he is opening, you remember two weeks ago, six seals, count them, out of seven. He opened six seals from a document, a scroll, and we, with each seal came another judgment on the earth, right? And he was opening this document. Remember what it was? The document is the deed to the earth. God's saying, you want this, uh, this earth back? Jesus, you come and take it. Jesus is worthy. He opens these six seals. He's taking back the earth from the evil one. By the way, uh, if you're like new, checking this place out, and you're like going, man, this is just deep. And I would say, yes, it is. This is just crazy level stuff, and it's in the Bible. As we look at these six seals, uh, we look at this, and we said sixth, the sixth seal, everybody was underground at that point and the judgment of God had come and they were all crying out. They said, fall on us, the ground, rocks, fall on us. We don't want to see a holy God and we don't want to see the lamb. Jesus is the lamb, right? And since we've seen that lamb open the six seals, we expected the seventh seal to be open, but not just yet. Because chapter 6 of Revelation ends with a question that is asked. Look at this question. Here it is. For the great day of the Lord, a uh, uh, great day of their wrath has come. These are the people hiding in the ground. The great day of the, their wrath has come. And here's the question. Read it with me. And who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand? I mean... Who can stand? We look at this answer uh, and try to answer it today. 
uh, today is like a parenthesis. You know what a parenthesis is? It's like information in the middle of the sentence that kind of gives a little bit more. Today is like a parenthesis in the book of Revelation. Here's an example of what a parenthesis looks like. Here it says, he finally answered after taking five minutes to think that he did not understand the question. You get the idea? It's like right in the middle. Here's another version of a parenthesis. The Broncos did not score because their offense stinks for the first time since 1992. Someone said amen. You know, that's, that's the idea. It gives this little picture in the middle. Now, this picture today is a bit more serious. Today is a big parenthesis in this book of Revelation, answering who can stand. There are uh, three parentheses in the book of Re Revelation. This one, chapter 10 and chapter 20, near the very end of the book. We'll cover those in the future. Uh, but this parenthesis is a beautiful, beautiful picture, and yet scary. It's answering the question, who can stand in the tribulation? But let me ask you a question. What do you think uh, it means to stand? To stand. Everyone who is left after six seals have been open. Uh, they're kneeling. They're like crouching underground. They're like, fall on us. I, I don't want to see that. Holy God, what does it mean to stand here? Here's what I think it means. Uh, who can stand before God in His wrath? I think that's what it means. Uh, who can be considered righteous before a holy God? All the believers, gone, right? That's already happened. That's already happened, but the answer to this question is going to be an amazing thing that's going to blow our minds. Uh, we're going to see the goodness of God once again. But first, bow your head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit move. God, even though I, I, uh, this day is weird in how it started with a service, we, we thank you that we have a place to be. We, we thank you for hands that take care of us, but we know it's really your hand. Um, God, I pray that you help us concentrate and that your Holy Spirit uh, really answer the questions in our minds and that you dive uh, us deep into your words. Uh, God, it's my prayer uh, that you'd be glorified today. And all God's people said, amen. We'll take a look at those notes. Chapter 7 contains, count them, two visions that we're going to look at today, uh, both of them separate, and yet uh, they tell each other's story. Does that make sense? So we're in the throne room of God. Both of these visions are well known to many uh, that you have heard them, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of at least one, if not both, of these two visions. Um, let me remind you of the safety uh, uh, talk that I give each week in this series because this series is just so strange. Number one, come every week. If you've missed weeks, go back online, uh, download the Bentry app, listen to those so you don't get lost. But number two is there is some strange symbolism in the book. Don't let that stuff scare you. Lean into it. Find out what stu stuff says there, why it says the symbolism actually is a key to deeper meaning of God. Does that make sense? Number three, drop your 
preconceived ideas of what this means. What these verses means, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and reveal Himself with Scripture. And then fourth, don't let this book divide us. That's what the enemy wants, but don't let us uh, let it divide us. Keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. No flash photography. Here we go. Here's a parenthesis on, uh, on number four. There's a little extra info here. There are several ways people have interpreted these two visions. I'll tell you uh, what I believe they are, what these represent, and maybe another way, but I won't give you all the ways these are represented for two reasons. Number one, it would just take weeks and weeks, and number two, I don't think they're right. So I'm not going to take church time, worship time to explain theologies that I think are wrong. If you have questions, you can always come meet with me. But what I want to do is take scripture and say, what do these things mean and teach you that? Does that make sense? So let's take a look at vision number one. Here it is uh, the, in the parenthesis of Revelation. You ready? Here it is. After this, verse one, after this. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow, check this out, on earth or sea or against any tree. Now this is a lot of visualization you're going to have to do. There, uh, there are four living creatures. These are angels uh, these are not the same angels that are standing around the throne room of God. These are four very specialized angels. In Scripture, winds are often a sign of pro providential uh, command. So winds, it's not necessarily really wind. It's just saying these winds, these forces, if you will, will come on the earth. It's saying, look, there are four angels a uh, little side note, do you know what the four corners of the earth means? I'm glad you asked. Here's the question. Some of you are like flat earthers. You go, I know what it is. Uh, but let me tell you, the world is actually round. Some of you just went, Pfft. you know, it's like uh, this is a round earth. So how do you have four corners? What it's talking about is this. A compass standing north, south, east, west. Have the place surrounded. The compass has four positions, north, south, east, west. By the way, angels are often described by holding territory. Both uh, good angels, what we would say on God's side, but also demons holding specific territories on earth. That's kind of here. So you get this picture, four angels standing at the points on the compass. Verse 2, here it is. Then I saw another angel, so it's the fifth angel, ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. So a couple of things. Here it is. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. So it's in the morning time with the seal of the living God. Now, this is going to be important, but look what he's holding, the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, this is my best angel voice, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have, check this out, sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. What is this? Remember, he's holding a seal the official seal of God. He's saying, do not let 
the uh, earth be harmed or the sea or the trees. You see this picture here? Now look, all these angels are protecting someone, a group of someones. Uh, whatever these winds are, the four angels are holding them back so they don't hurt the sea and specifically the sea or the trees as well on the earth. And specifically, uh, he's saying, you hold it back until the servants of God have this seal on their forehead. Now check this out, check this out. Didn't all the Christians get raptured already? And everyone said, yes. There are no Christians on the earth at this point. Now check this out. Um, yes. But, it's talking about the servants of our God who need to be sealed. Uh, these are not Christians, or at least not yet. Now, a little side note here about studying Revelation I want to remind you of here. It is a linear book, and yet it is more like a scrapbook. In other words, it's telling of these events, so it goes, moves along, and tells the story, but it will do like a, a, a scrapbook where you go, oh, here's my high school year, and then there's a picture of my best friend and me. Then you turn it over, and you go, oh, there's some ribbons. You, you see what I mean? It's telling the story, but then it does a close-up on some things. But then it will confuse us because it will go forward in time, and then sometimes, like week one, it will go back to before time when satan fell so you got to always say where am i in this here's how i do it you might make a note of this as you're reading scripture you say where am i you go i'm in the throne room of god with john watching this happen does that make sense so that's where we're at we're in the throne room with john okay this is one angel is telling the other four angels standing at the four corners of this place of the earth to hold back anything that would hurt the earth until the servants of God have been sealed on their foreheads. You got this picture? Now, don't get confused because some of you just jumped ahead a little bit, didn't you? Because you violated number three. You said, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Let's address it in chapter 13. It's coming up ahead, but it's kind of cool. Look at chapter 13 for just a second. This is talking about something that's related also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Let's just see a little thing. Does anyone know that number? Oh, guys, you are good. We'll cover this more in the future weeks. But I want you to see that this is not what we are talking about today. This is the holy version. Because the beast who controls the world during the time of revelation uh, in this tribulation time here um, requires this number. This is the thing we're talking about in the future that says you've got to have this number or name on your forehead or on your right hand. We'll talk about what that might look like uh, uh, in, in the future. Uh, but just know this, that you have to have that to buy or sell to do business of any kind. We'll point this out again. We'll dive deep into it. But whatever God does, I want you to see the enemy always has a version of it that is false and evil 
looks like it, but is a fake, a copycat. You with me? This is the real thing, the seal that we're talking about. And here the servants of God we're talking about today have the seal of God put on their forehead, not on their hand, but the enemy will place a mark on his followers. Do you see that? God seals his people, but the enemy marks them. This is going to come back. It's going to blow your mind. Take a look at this. Uh, Verse 4, back at Revelation 7. John says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Raise your hand if you've heard of the 144,000. There's a ton of uh, mis-teaching, false teaching on this, so watch close. The sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of, say it with me, where are they from? Israel. There are good Christians that say, no, uh, these are uh, Gentiles that, uh, that the Gentile people, these are usually post-tribulation uh, Christians that believe the rapture happens at the end. They'll say, no, this is the church uh, and, and it's special people in the church that you and I are a part of. Respectfully, and this is an open-handed issue, baloney. Because of this. These are sons of Israel, and I'm going to show you, 144,000. This is a real number. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. Now, why is Judah mentioned first? He's not the firstborn, because this is the tribe that Jesus comes from. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon. And you see all these people coming from each tribe. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi is not usually mentioned, but Levi is mentioned. They didn't get land in the Old Testament. They just got cities, you remember that, for your theologians, but they do get land in heaven. Look at this. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. Some of you are going, I've never heard. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Let me just say a couple of things about you Bible geeks here because I'm one with you. The 12 tribes of Israel, right? Right. 144,000 are sealed by God. Why them? Well, later on we're going to see that these 144,000 are in fact Jewish people that, check this out, that have not taken the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hands in other words they've taken their life in their own hand they can't do business the regular way they're living underground now this is freaky but notice there are two tribes for you bible scholars there's two tribes missing did you notice two tribes missing and you go what tribes the tribe of dan and the tribe of ephraim but 12 are listed here Uh, they are taken out most theological kind of historians agree because they are the ones that fell to idol worship they had the golden calves the golden lions there now but the thing i want you to see is that they are replaced uh joseph uh, had two sons you remember he had a double portion so joseph is added back in the other son is there but then the tribe of levi as well all right but the thing i want you to see 
is these 144,000 are protected by God during the rest of the tribulation. I can't say this enough. So write somewhere on your notes, these 144,000 are protected supernaturally, physically, until Christ returns for what we call the second coming. You go, well, when was the first one? Well, we're going to celebrate in a couple of months here, right? Baby Jesus, Mary, we'll sing Christmas songs, the Virgin Mary, we celebrate that. But this is the second coming when Christ returns with His church. See that? These 144,000 will be on the earth all the way through the tribulation. Talk about tough. Now, here, I want you to write this down. There's a lot to write, but here it is. The 144,000 are spirit-filled Jews that are selected by God to be a witness to the world during the tribulation. All the Christians are gone, right? The 144,000, though, become Christians. I'm going to show you that in just a second. They're spirit-filled. The Spirit enters them. They are selected by God to be a witness to the world during the seven-year tribulation. Now, don't let me lose you. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you. These 144,000 were not Christians when the rapture happened. But they are Jews that wake up to the gospel. It's a supernatural thing. But how? There's no one to tell them all the Christians are gone. Uh, how do they become Christians? Well, quite frankly, they come to Christ the same way you and I do. By the Spirit of God calling you out of death and into life through the Word of God. Does that make sense? In other words, the Holy Spirit is saying, wake up! You're dead! I'm raising you back to life! spiritually i'm going to bring you and they're reading the word of god they're dead in their sins just like we are but this uh, then they come alive check this out reading god's word now I'm, I'm i'm gonna go go with me just for a minute on this question let's assume that the rapture is going to happen next month uh, november and all the christians are gone boom right then right these 144,000 Jews, would they be believers right now then? No. No. Why not? Paul the Apostle explains it this way. This is one of the craziest things, but you're going to see something pretty cool here. In the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 7, go ahead and turn there. Paul reminds us what the Old Testament said, uh, both in Isaiah 29 and Deuteronomy 29, when he says this, Romans 11, he says, what then? He's talking about uh, Jews. He says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. You see, all the Gentiles were getting saved, right? The Jews weren't getting saved that much. He says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, namely the return of the Christ, his saving thing. He says, the elect, those are Christians, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see. 
He's saying there's a hardening that took place on the Jewish people. Now look at this. Look at this. Skip down to 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. What is the mystery? He says it plainly. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. He's talking about the people and the nation of Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Folks, this is some deep stuff, but you've got to get this thing down. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. We live in an age called the church age or age of grace or as some theologians have called it the gentile age where god is saying until the all the gentiles have come in that i want in do you see what it's saying he says i'm putting a hardening so the jewish people can't see it as easy now right now there's a partial hardening uh the church comes and gets raptured, goes up. These 144,000, we'll find out later, are virgins, single males, although some believe that it will also be females as well. I don't see that in Scripture, but that's an open-handed issue. Some say, well, the virgin thing, that's, like, uh, that's just like they throw, I, God doesn't throw stuff in. Uh, I'm just saying, these are single Whatever the case, though, the 144,000 will be Jewish witnesses to the entire world for seven years. Here's what I want you to see. Another big, clunky, long thing to write down, but write it down. The result of the witness of the 144,000 during the tribulation will be a vast number of Gentiles and Jews that turn their hearts to Jesus as their savior you understand think about it this way if 12 apostles were turning the world around in 2000 years uh what will 144,000 spirit-filled witnesses do in seven years millions hundreds of millions perhaps billions with a b this is the second ver vision John sees. Look at it with me. So we hit the first one. This is the second now. They're related. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. It's back in heaven. John's seeing this big thing, this, this massive amount of people there. John's seen before the throne. You with me? We're back in the throne room of God. From every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now just a side note, like where are you during this? If you're a believer, you're there too, but you're not standing with them. You're seated. We'll get to that future time, but you're seated watching this take place. This is cool, folks. This is just cool. You are in this room when this is happening. Okay? You, like... You know, during that day, just like turn to me and like wink. Like I, like I remember when you told me, turn to me and like, and I go, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, this is important. All right. From every tri nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now everybody's wearing white, white but I want you to understand this is special white clothes with palm branches, they're standing with palm branches wearing white clothes 
palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Say it with me. Jesus. Jesus. They're crying out to the Father, our Father, and the Lamb who has saved us. Notice, notice this is back in the throne room. Now, I also want you to see they are set apart here with their white robes. We don't know if it's like a uniform or what, but they notice that the robes are different, even though they're white, and they're holding these palm branches. Now, for you theologians, you'll recognize this palm branches. When did you have the palm branches? You remember the, the, when Jesus is riding the donkey into the city, they put the palm branches and wave them? That is hearkening back to a festival of the old covenant in the Old Testament, you can read about it on your own. It's in Leviticus 23. The, uh, it's the Festival of Tabernacles. Here's what you need to know. Here's the crash course. Once a year, Jewish families would make these little kind of booths out of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, sticks and palm branches. And they'd live in that for a few days, right? When they would celebrate, check this out, the deliverance of the people of Israel out of bondage. So when Jesus is riding that donkey, they're doing that. They're celebrating the deliverance, the people. They're going, is this the king? And he was, right? But now, this is the final celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now they've been set free. The slavery of sin. Look at the celebration. It breaks out. Here it is. I want you to see. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who are these people? This is a party. I'm just telling you. This is a celebration. People, uh, God's people are home. This is the great multitude. Let's go on to verse 13. It switches back to John's experience, okay? This is John talking here. He says, Then one of the elders addressed me. This is one of the humans on those 24 thrones. He addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? This is John speaking. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, Check this out. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see who it is? These are the people, the multitude, that are saved during the great tribulation. Where are they? Where are they? They're in heaven. Look up here. Look up here. This is very important for you to understand. It's as serious as a heart attack. Because you are responsible for what you are about to hear. The people in this picture will be saved during the great tribulation will not be people who have had a chance to be saved in their lifetimes before the rapture. They will be those who have heard and received the gospel 
the first time. Their hearts were broken. They responded and said, Savior and King to Jesus. Are you with me? What I want you to know is if you are an unbeliever, you're not a Christian, we live in an age of grace right now. Jesus has died on the cross. He's offered substitutionary atonement. Means He will pay for the price of your sin. In other words, your death. He'll die instead and then give you His righteousness because He is perfect. In this age of grace, He will do that. So that you can become, check this out, a child of God. It's the only way to get to God. Through Jesus. You spend eternity in heaven with God when you become a Christian. But listen to me, unbeliever. Once you die or the rapture happens, whatever comes first, that age of grace is over. Do you hear me? The age of grace is over when you die or Jesus returns for His church. This is hard stuff, I know, but I, you've got to get the truth. I, I, understand, understand, I want to preach something that's like happy, but the problem is I love you. And I won't fill your ears with just like, oh, it's everything's okay, let's, let's all have a good time and everything will turn out in the end. Because listen, it won't for a lot of people. These people that are standing, this multitude, have not rejected Christ. They were saved during the tribulation because they had never heard this great multitude. And now, how did they get to heaven? Was there another rapture? No. They were martyred for their faith. Millions, millions, perhaps a billion martyred for their faith. That's why they're standing in heaven. But notice, the 144,000 are not in heaven yet. The 144,000 are still on the earth while the multitude is worshiping in the throne. The 144,000 are going, hey, it's bad down here. It's rough. The tribulation will be a time of unparalleled affliction, but I want you to know unparalleled grace too. Be a a, a revival like we have never seen. Verse 15, look what God does for the vast multitude. He says, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne, that be God, will shelter them with His presence. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Do you see this? He's both Lamb and shepherd here. Isn't that cool? And He, talking about Jesus, will guide them to springs of living water. This is that the, the multitude that have been uh, killed. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want you to see something because you've seen this verse before. It's not just that God will wipe tears away he's saying look i want you to see this there will be no tears there will be no regret there will be no remorse because jesus has washed them completely clean can someone say amen that's huge to understand did you see this picture here it ends with this parenthesis 
it, it closes right here. Millions, perhaps billions more are home in heaven having been redeemed by the Lamb, Christ Himself. Everyone's eye turns from the mass worship and celebration of the Lamb and look what the Lamb does. This is the first verse of chapter 8. Everybody's watching the Lamb. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, we get to it finally. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. <laughs> a little side note, this is how we know there's time. Some people go, there's no time in heaven. Actually, that would be wrong. There is time because they measure it about a half an hour in heaven. As we peek to... Uh, peek through with John into the throne room of heaven. I want you to see this. It has been a constant sound. Voices, thunder, the lightning, boo, thunder instantly. Worship, every time something happens, everybody falls down, throws their crown, worships. It's loud, baby. I'm going, it is big. And then all of a sudden, silence. For a half an hour. I don't know about you, but Silence to me is deafening. I like it, but it's loud. The seventh seal of the scroll has been opened. The deed to the earth the Father has given the Lamb. Jesus has been opened. We thought it had been bad up to now, but we haven't seen anything yet. The seventh seal releases God's wrath. Whenever you see God's wrath, you always see it with God's anger. And it's hard for our minds to wrap around. We'll touch on it. But it's always perfect. Our anger is never perfect. Our wrath is never perfect. That's why he says, let me have it. God's wrath is opened up on up to this point. It has been man-made devastation. You can write that down. Up to this point, it's been man-made devastation. Man against man, ecological disasters, wars, famine, all because of man. God put it in motion, right? But now God steps in and begins to deliver a series of knockout punches, additional judgments that will uh, be initiated with the sound of a trumpet. The trumpet blows throughout history have always been like the sound of a battle cry. Picture the Old West, right? When the cavalry would charge in, it would be, doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, charge, and everybody would go in. This is the sound here, like that Old West bugle blast. Look what John describes next. This is chapter 8, verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets, these are another seven here, with seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood before the altar with a golden censer. This is like on a chain with something burning. To offer with the prayers of all the saints. By the way, this is you again. All your prayers are in this censer. He's swinging it. It's going up on the altar. He puts it on the altar before God, before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of of the angel you got the picture there i know it's freaky then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth this is symbolism and there were peals of thunder boom rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them oh baby this is scary what happens it's bad really bad i'm gonna leave you hanging 
I know that's horrible. But it gets you to come back. Let me leave you with this. I know uh, it's a weird day, but we're about to enter a very holy time. And I want you to listen very closely. Let me leave you with a thought. Remember, Satan will mark his people with the name of the beast uh, or 666, that mark. Nazi Germany had its swastika. The old Soviet Union had a hammer and sickle, right? That idea goes back in history. I mean, you can look in Daniel 7, you can look at all these ones with the Persians and the Medes, all that stuff. It's scary. The mark of those kings, right? That was the picture. But what I want you to see is those 144,000 we began with were sealed by God. And believers in this room, you are sealed as well. Here's what I mean. Back in the ancient days, a seal was put around royal documents. I mean, think of letterhead now. You get a letter from the IRS, you know it's IRS. Why? Because it's got its little seal of the U.S. government. The IRS sends a chill down your spine, doesn't it? Right? It's sealed there. Same thing was happened with a lot of letters. It was a wax seal. But when something was very important, like a historical document, they said, we want this to last. What they would do is they would wrap the entire document in this kind of wet kind of clay, not real wet, but they would say, you know, just like molding clay, they'd wrap it, create a tube around it so that it would be waterproof. It would be sealed it's where we actually get our word for sealed like little plastic baggies right it's sealed you have this picture so this document sealed in there these believers are sealed and back in the ancient days when you would seal that the kings would come along usually with a ring insignia ring you have like a picture of the king himself or some symbol of that king and he would mash it into the wet clay and when he removed his hand there would be a, a, a seal this mark in there that would last so everyone that came across this thing would say that document belongs to the king are you with me and really important when documents were sealed in special clay you would see this picture of uh, of saying this is the king's in another vision before the throne of god many years before in Ezekiel 9.4, don't turn there, but you can read on your own. You can write Ezekiel 9.4. Uh, there are the angels worshiping God. God's on His throne. It's that theophany piece again. This is uh, many years before uh, John's given this in Revelation 7. The angels of God were told to mark God's people uh, with the, uh, uh, the seal of the King. Are you with me? He said, I want you to mark God's people. He tells these angels with the seal of the king. Same picture is in Revelation. And so this old picture back in Ezekiel, they go and they mark it and they say, what do you want us to mark them with? He says, I want you to mark them, mark them with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Not the Greek. We're going old school. The Hebrew alphabet. He said, I want you to mark them with that. On the forehead. I want you to seal them. Can I just show it to you for just a moment? This is going to rock your world. This, this seal, if we can get it to come up here, this is modern Hebrew. The last letter. And you go, 
Oh, that's nice, Paul. That's not, That's really nice. Middle Hebrew, this is what it looked like. But when God was writing this in Ezekiel, the picture of the angels sealing the people of God on their foreheads. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is the one. Long before Jesus was ever crucified, God was sealing His people with the cross. They're mine. They're taken care of. I've sealed them. They are my people. And no one can touch them. No one. They are my children. Here's what you've got to understand about this. Paul says this, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were what? Say it with me loud. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Listen to me. Believers, you are sealed with the mark of the King the mark of the Holy Spirit marks us. The cross is on us. It is how we know if someone is a real believer. They've been with Jesus. The cross has marked them in such a way that the world knows there are no underground Christians that are going, hey, I'm just trying to kind of hide this so I'm not going to look like Jesus. Real Christians look like Jesus. They are marked with the symbol of the King. And no, we can't physically see it, that seal, but we can see it in the way a changed heart operates. In the way someone thinks. I'm given a new mind. It's why it's put on our forehead. God changes us in the way we love each other when love is difficult. Have you been sealed by the king. Would you bow your head and pray with me?